Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the What's Holding You Back January Writing Challenge edition of the 7am Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now this month we are live talking about everything that might hold a writer back from producing the work they want to write and how they can overcome those roadblocks. Today we get to hear from two wonderful writers, Mark Cecil and Jane Roper. Good morning, you two. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Mark Cecil is the author of the novel Bunyan and Henry or The Beautiful Destiny. He's also the host of the Thoughtful Bro podcast, which I highly recommend. I also recommend this novel, of course. And he is taught writing at Grub Street in Boston. Jane Roper is the author of two novels, The Society of Shame and Eden Lake, as well as a memoir, Devil Time, How I Survived and Mostly Thrived Through the First Three Years of Mothering Twins as well as numerous personal essays and humor pieces and a very eclectic substack, Jane's Calamity. All right, folks, here we go. We're just gonna deal with one question today because it's a really big question. Um, it has to do with narrative structure as well as dealing with multiple points of view and multiple timelines, which is something that I myself am addicted to, but I don't necessarily recommend it to anybody else. <laughs> Because it's really hard. <laughs> okay, Kim, here we go. Hi, Michelle. My name is Kim. Um, really been enjoying listening to these questions and answers over the past month and didn't think that I had any, but recently one has come up that I wanted to ask about. I have been working on a novel for about four years now. It's gone through a lot of different editing. I spent most of the last year rewriting the entire thing from the ground up um, and I just sent it out to my first readers for the first time and as I'm starting to get feedback from them um, one thing that is coming out is that the narrative structure of the story might need to change that the characters are strong the plot is strong but the way the story is told isn't working um, and the story is told in, in three points of view with two different timelines so it's quite quite complicated um, and I'm just wondering if you have any advice on how to go about making that change. Um, there are so many different ways to tell a story like this. Um, you know, I could put it all in the present and make all the past flashbacks. Um, I could put sections for each character so that every part is only one point of view. You're not bouncing back and forth. And I'm just wondering how to move forward with this type of edit. Thank you. Great. Okay. So, um, and so why do I not normally advocate this sort of thing? Because it's just really hard. You're just juggling a lot, particularly for your first novel. Um, and yet I still do it. And I always tell myself not to do it because it's just the way my brain works. I like those multiples. I like the complexities. Uh, my agent is always telling me, Michelle, you don't have to do everything in one novel, but I still try to do it. <laughs> and I do not listen to my agents. Um, now, Jane, I think you actually do listen to your agent <laughs> or somebody <laughs> is not doing this. Um, what has been your experience with, with dealing? Now, also, by the way, we don't know that Kim's issue is really has to do with the multiples. We right. don't know that it's, it's really a problem with the points of view or the different uh, timelines. Uh, it could be, but we're not sure. So we're going to basically speak to, and we don't know her novel. 
So we're going to speak to this idea in general, and hopefully this is helpful to Kim as well as to others that are trying to make these decisions. Okay, Jane, what has been your experience with this sort of decision for a book? Yes. Um, so the very first novel I wrote, um, I had two timelines and two point to, points of view. Um, and, you know, I, I think I thought that I needed one timeline to illuminate the other and one character to illuminate the other. And that can be, you know, I think that's a good reason to to write something from multiple points of view or multiple timelines. Um, what I ran into, though, um, and I think, and, and this was actually the case in the second novel I wrote, Eden Lake, um, which had multiple points of view, is I always felt more invested in one than the other. Um, or And I found that readers felt that way too. It was like, I, I knew where the energy of the story really was. And, and yet I think I felt some pressure. So the, the first book, um, it, you know, it involved a, the past of a mother in the 1930s and 40s, and then her adult daughter in, in like the 70s, trying to sort of understand her mom and why her mom is the way she is. And it reveals a secret. A lot of times it seems like multiple points of view and timelines involve secrets um, being revealed and someone discovering a secret about their, you know, um, person's past. Um, but it really, I, I realized as I was doing it, I was like, I just, I don't care so much <laughs> about the front story. And and so I think that, you know, that was why it really didn't end up working. Um and then the second book I, I wrote, Eden Lake, that book did not get published. The second book I wrote, Eden Lake, which got published like by the skin of its teeth by a tiny um, hybrid press. Um, it also had multiple points of view. And I think that was important. But again, I felt more invested in some characters than others. And I did end up wishing, gosh, I kind of wish I had filtered those other characters through the main, through a main character. Because um, mm. you can't do that, you know, and I think... <laughs> sometimes you, it's a mistake to feel like the only way you can reveal the points of view or reveal the feelings of other characters is by giving them their own point of view. And that's not necessarily the case. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's also just really hard. Like you said, like after I wrote Eden Lake, I'm like, I'm never doing that again. I'm just going to write from one point of view. And that's what I have done since. Yeah, I think for me in my second novel, I made it easier because I did it in blocks. I had five points of views. Mm -hmm in first person, which I do not recommend because you have to make all those first persons different and you will kill yourself backwards and frontwards to try to do it. But I guess I got a book out. Uh, but I put it in blocks because then I could focus in instead of trying to move back and forth between them a lot. And Margot Livesey also does that in Fortune Street and, you know, Faulkner does that. Um, so so it can be done uh, and it can be done well. Um, and some of the things that Jane is bringing up, um, lots of times when we have a multiple timeline point of view book, um, it is about that secret in the background. And what I oftentimes find is that the more contemporary point of view just does not have the weight of the past timeline point of view. Yeah. And what is what is happening, it seems to be that the writer is trying to play play it safe um, or is trying to kind of distance herself uh, from the demands and the interest and the dynamism of that past storyline. Mm. And uh, they really just need to get rid of the front storyline, the, the more contemporary storyline so that we are in 
the most dramatic part of the story. Um, you know, don't put a screen in front of us uh, for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also something that Jane brings up is if you're doing multiple points of view, each of them, well, certainly each of them needs to be just as interesting to the author. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be a major problem. But each of them needs also to be interest, as interesting to the reader, because if the reader gets to say, so my first novel had Mary and Enadina. Um, if the reader gets to every Mary section and kind of groans and is trying to just pass through the pages in order to get back to Enadina, that's a major, major problem. You should not have anyone reading your novel that groans <laughs> and feels like they don't <laughs> want to read a particular part of the story. And and many of you as readers have probably experienced this. Uh, I have still read published novels where I've hit certain sections and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not as interested in this part. Um, and you, you can't always interest everyone. You don't always know what's going to interest everyone. I think some additional points of views have even been put in books because the editor thinks, oh, we need like a male point of view here, or a female point of view, or we need something else. Um, or we need that contemporary point of view in order to involve contemporary readers. Um, but it can cause problems. Now, I know Mark is just a monster just loves this idea of multiples and how to structure them out. And so Mark, I know he's just like, I want to talk about this. Mark, what's been your experience? (laughs) Oh my God. I have so much to say. Um, If I can get the frog out of my throat. Um, So first of all, I I love talking about structure and it's literally my favorite thing to talk about. Um, So I have have a lot to say about this, but I just want to, before we even start, I just want to like give some props to Kim. So Kim, first of all, there's like, I just want to like point out the good parts of your situation. So number one, you're saying that you have people are saying there's a strong, strong characters and strong plot. That's great. Um, also, if you have, if you're having trouble controlling your novel, like two things on that first, that means you have a lot of material, which is also great. Um, it's better than having not enough material. And also this, I just want you to know that like having gone through so many workshops as a writer, this is such a common problem. This is, I mean, many people who um, have multiple points of view, They, what happens is they become deeply invested in each of the points of view and keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. But I think like the metaphor for me is you are a chef and you've got to serve a meal and you've got all these ingredients in your kitchen now and you can't put fish and steak and chicken on the plate. You just got to kind of choose what's the main course here and then also think like, do you actually need another protein on the dish or should it be like a grain or what or what have you. So um, I think and just one last thing also, Kim, the fact that you wrote this for four years and you're just sharing it with beta readers and like they're giving you this feedback, I just want to acknowledge like that is like a really brave thing to do and it's a necessary thing to do. And a lot of people would be too afraid of that step and would just go straight to trying to find an agent or something, but you didn't do that. You're trying to get feedback, which is awesome. Um, like I do have a lot to say about this, but it's like I just want to give you like a caveat about what kind of reader I am. Like I am like such a straightforward, clear through line, line single arc kind of guy. Um, I um, have what's uh, another friend of mine recently called secondary character blindness. Like I do tend to kind of attach to a main character and a main plot line. And when I'm reading multiple point of view stories, I almost always and and this is also an unconscious process. I like rank them in my mind. Um, and I just decide like, this is the main, this is the story that I'm interested in. This is what like my brain just decides. This is the story. This is the main story. So everything else I just kind of push to the side. It's just a way that I pay attention. And so I just want you to know that like readers like me are out there. Um, and so these kinds of stories are harder for me. Um, we don't know what genre you're in. So 
you know, I think there's certain genres that really lend themselves to this kind of multiple POV stuff where it's really necessary. Like, for example, thrillers or any kind of procedural where like get the gathering and presenting of evidence and information is really important. It's really going to work there. It can really work in a romance story where you're seeing two sides or love story where you see both sides of the couple. Um, and it can really we can talk about this um, later, but because uh, Jane and I were texting about this yesterday. But there's a, the kind of the family drama, like family secrets revealed kind of story, which is like also a common multiple point of view, multiple timeline thing. So I wish I knew more about um, what genre this is. But anyway, I just want to say that like it is super risky. And for all the reasons that people say it can like disrupt pace, it can disrupt tension, it can make your book really long um, as well. And it can make it kind of more complicated um, rather than like complex, which I think is like what people really want. I would just say that, like, I, I thought about this for a long time as I, yesterday when I got this question, and I would say the two principles I have, and I'll stop talking in a second, but, like, I would just say the two principles I have, which I'm happy to expound upon in a minute, are just interaction um, and causality. Um, like, the all the multiple points of view need to interact with each other in some meaningful way, and there needs to be a sense of causality, like, um, that... Uh, one thing that is happening with one point of view or timeline is actually impacting <laughs> impacting the other timeline. So interaction and causality, are, I think, are the two kind of measuring things to decide how much do I need this. But Mark, do you when you say that <clears throat> causality, are you talking strictly? I think you are strictly about like sort of plot and action as opposed to like emotional causality, like the the fact that this happened is going to have this impact on another character in a whatever character development way or emotional reaction kind of way. Well, that depends what the stakes of your story are. I mean, if, right. if you're writing the kind of story that like the actual payoff is that, oh, now that I know that my mother had an affair, which is why my parents got divorced, which is why I am the way I am 30 years later, and now I understand life more um, and I understand my own marriage more. Well, that's a kind of a, an emotional stakes right. kind of story. And so there is a causality there because the yeah. cause it's like impacting the fundamental thing that the story is about. Um, but yeah, that's what I mean. I just want to say like I on my show, I had George Saunders on once and he said this thing that I always repeat. I thought it was so interesting. I asked him, what, are, what, what makes a successful writer? Like you have all these students, George Saunders. And he said two things. And they were so specific. He said, a, a willingness to revise, that's one. And the second one is an attention to causality. And I always think about that. And so I just think it's such an important thing for a writer. Like, don't take it from me. Take it from George Saunders. Is whatever information that's in your story, is it knocking the next domino forward in some way, on some level? Right, right. This is a number that's the number one thing too, because I mean it goes by scene by scene, and otherwise you just have things happening. So, and this is a problem even if you're not dealing with multiple points of view or multiple timelines. It, it, something just happens and there doesn't seem to be any consequence. I, I talk about the idea of consequence all the time on the next scene, on the next scene, and the next. Something happens. How does that change everything in the next scene that you offer us? And if it doesn't, you can have a problem because it can seem very random and we don't know, well, why did it happen in the book at all? Why is this scene even in the book? Um, and that can be, too, why is this point of view, even in the book, if it doesn't have a causal relation to the next? Yeah. Right. All right. Um, Mark, I know, I feel like I just want Mark, 
<laughs> so, okay. Um, what are the good things about writing or even reading a point of view? Like, Jane, do you like to read these sorts of books? I, yeah, I mean... I I do again if if there's a really good reason for it. Yes. Yeah. Then and I if I can see clearly like like Mark was saying like in a thriller and where you're seeing you're getting different information from different sources and you're you know maybe that's helping paint a picture but it's also contradicting, you know, and making making the puzzle more complicated in your mind. So you're like, "Oh, I thought it was that, but maybe it's this." And and that's fun and exciting. Um, and I think that can happen to some degree in a, um, you, you know, in a more literary novel and like women's fiction, kind of women's fiction um, novel. Uh, so I, I, I do enjoy what I don't enjoy um, is sometimes like there's a feeling of whiplash or like you say, like you said, Michelle, if, if I feel like I'm kind of skimming over uh, one section. Um, but I think there is um it's finding a rhythm. Like if I have the sense that the author's really in control of the rhythm and the handoff between the different sections, um, and there's a sense of, um, and, and I'm not getting that whiplash. I'm not just getting jerked back and forth between different timelines without a, seer, a, a, a clear sense of purpose. Um, I, you know, I, I think it can be really enjoyable. Like an, I'm going to be an outlier here, but when I think about all the light we cannot see, which I know everyone loved and blah, 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 but I felt like whiplashed in that because the sections were so short and I couldn't get invested in one character over the other. And that was a book where I really felt like I wish he had written it in like four parts, maybe where you'd have a yeah. big long section of one person's point of view. But I think what he was trying to do was build tension over the the timing and, and tension over... Um, it didn't work for me, but apparently it worked for a lot of people. It interest, it's interesting he does that because that's more like a, a thriller type of pacing, a uh, to choice right. to, to have those short points of views and, and have them kind of thrown at you so quickly. Now, um, when you talk about handoff from one point of view to the other, there are some techniques about this. How do you think about the handoff from one point of view to the other? Because that can be, or from one timeline to the other, because that is a huge part of making this work. Yeah, I mean, it's really tricky. And that's what I, you know, I think is, is one of the more challenging parts is that you need to decide thematically, you know, or uh, whether it's like, sheer plot wise and things happening, or whether it's, you know, maybe something in the present echoes the past. And that's sort of there has to be some kind of link that you understand as a as a as a reader. And I think that, you know, Mark was speaking to that as well, whether it's a thematic link, whether it's this caused this, um, or, you know, it, it could be the, you end on sort of like this cliffhanger note with one character and then something about what happens in the next care, you know, with the next character's point of view is going to maybe provide an answer or ratchet up the stakes of that cliffhanger. Um, so there has to be this clear handoff. And that's why I think, you know, some people will try to, I think, Michelle, did you say you did this, like you went through and you wrote one point of view first and then the other, um, for me, like I couldn't do that because I have to know as I'm going, like, here's why we, you know, here's how one section is going to directly impact or link thematically or emotionally or whatever to the previous section. Yeah. I mean, the process behind this is difficult. And some people say, well, how do I do it? Do I do, do I just focus on one timeline at a time or just one point of view at a time? Um, how do I then uh, blend them together. And honestly, when I would work 
I would focus on the point of view that I was most excited about at the time because I was still just figuring out the whole story. I mean, that was that was first draft material. Right. Um, and then when I was able to concentrate more, I would work with one point of view at a time um, and then and just kind of go back and forth. Then I would blend them and then I would deal with them one at a time. So it, it also depends on your process. Um, I'm also yeah. used to working on multiple novels at a time. So my brain just kind of works on several different pistons as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I do want to mention is mm-hmm. there are novels, you know, I think about Tommy Orange's There, There, and he has talked about this as well, about why he used so many points of view. Um, I'd have to look back at that novel to look at the causal relationship between the points of view in that novel, but he also believes in, and a lot of writers believe in, that one point of view cannot carry the show. They just don't believe that our stories, our lives um, should be um, given only one point of view, that, that, that the multiple points of views is actually a more kind of democratic or diverse way of, of giving a picture of a particular story. Uh, and I think that is uh, something important to think about. So Mark, I want you to keep um, talking about strategies for multiple points of views. What, what, and you might wanna talk about this handoff as well. So I always talk to students about, I call it I call it a pivot point. Um, and I know that Celeste Ning calls it like handing off a baton. Um, so, and this can be in timelines or in points of view, but preferably something concrete. So it can be an image, um, it can be a piece of dialogue. Um, it, it can be um, a particular scene, just remembering that you're getting power of juxtaposition um, when you're moving from one to the next. Um, and so being in control of that, but, but are you repeating the image at the end of one timeline or point of view? And then, and then the same character, Virginia Woolf does this, like a character is looking at a tree and when she pivots to the new point of view, the other character is looking at the same tree. And that's how she kind of moves through the tree to get us there. But you can use other other images or objects or uh, a sound or something to get us there. Um, there's lots of different ways to do this. And Mark, I'm sure you've you've done this as well. Yeah, I mean, I um, so I think, again, I'm a real story guy. I mean, I think like some of the techniques that you're talking about right there are sort of like these kind of cinematic techniques where you're like, you're one character's looking at a tree and then there's a fade out and then the same person's looking at a tree or a similar type of object rather than a story connection between them. And I'm like so big on, again, caveat, listen to the source here, take it with a grain of salt, but I'm just such a big story person. And, you know, I just, I think it's really risky um, from that perspective to try to thread things together in some non-story way, some aesthetic way. I mean, I think that like, for example, um, like there are examples of like, let's just take some big literary examples, like this book Covenant of Water by Abraham Varghese. I think, I don't think that's how you pronounce his name, but, um, this Oprah club book, it's like across three generations and like all the women in this family die by drowning. And so there's this kind of like superstructure on it. Um, this book Homegoing by uh, Jesse, um, that's mm-hmm. a book about 14 generations of black women. There's sort of like a kind of roots narrative there. It's like the, about, you know, the African diaspora. Um, so there's a superstructure there. And then there's something like um, Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. And he said that like all the characters in that book are like the same soul reincarnated, right? So you, you're seeing these kind of like superstructures sometimes imposed. And I just like, I just think, think about the story and don't think because there's like, a pattern or a rhythm or some kind or even as you're saying michelle just like some kind of image like that's no substitute for like there being some kind of story reason i mean the way i think about it because i have multiple points of view in in my book but i do it in a kind of different way i like 
my book is like sort of a, a folktale myth retelling. And so I will like get to a point in the story where like the main character needs an answer to a question. Like, I don't understand what's happening in this world. And then this other character will be like, well, let me tell you. And then they narrate like a first person chapter or two, like, this is my story and this is why this is happening. Right. And so it's like, to me, there's a causal relationship there because it's like the, the, the story just can't move forward without an answer to this question. And so, um, then that person provides that answer. So anyway, again, I just want to caveat all this. It's like, I know that like other people approach multiple timelines and points of view um, with a much more, I would say like artistic and open-minded way, but I'm just so laser focused on why is this advancing the story that um, that's what I'm looking for when there's a transition. That's a great example. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that's that idea of the first person chapter within, but it's still within the present day timeline of the book. That's a great example of how you can give multiple points of view without without it being a multiple POV book per se. But it's sort of a trick to sneak in another point of view without taking. Yeah, Yeah. like without taking the reader out of the present of the story. Another thing. um, And Mark, you and I just read this person's book in a workshop we're in. <clears throat> is that the um the character the first person character periodically has these sort of imagined conversations with her uh father it, her dead father sort of where that's an, another way to allow us to give a different perspective that gives a different angle on the story again it's sort of a device that works well to give a, another angle but in a without taking us out of the pre- you know it's still within the present of the story yeah. So if she does need to pare down points of view or timeline, if, if that really is the problem that's creating the narrative structure problem here, what um, how can she go about that? Jane, what do you think? So I I think one of the helpful things that I, I find if I'm doing a revision on a sort of major book scale is really <laughs> stepping back in almost in a physical way. And I think the first time I was on this show, I pulled out my whiteboard, even <laughs> even though we were like audio, but I've got this giant whiteboard. And sometimes I'll, you know, be uh, use that space or you could use like cards, right, to just write out the different beats of the story, the main beats for the different characters and <clears throat> what each of their arcs provides. And looking at that on a large scale, I think it can help you really see here's how this connects to this. And here's how this connects to this. And is there, you know, maybe there's some pivotal scene that happens in a different timeline. Well, is there a way I can put that, that scene or that, you know, as a flashback? Anyway, I just, I feel like putting it out there in a physical manner um, can really help you see things from a different perspective when you can look at all the pieces in front of you and take some time to prep for that. Obviously you have to go through, but even the, the process of going through and saying, <clears throat> what am I doing here? What's the purpose of this in, in the context of the book? Even that can be instructive. Yeah. And I think that kind of reverse outlining, and I, I also recommend cards or, you know, something physical that's yes. different than the narrative or or the list it's it's movable if you have options and um it just it takes you out of the book as is and just really looking at what has energy and 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 you you can talk about the power of story but for me also like the the energetic juxtapositions between parts yes. um how how they how they give energy to each other 
as the story is moving forward is always something really exciting to me as a reader as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I tell you, I oftentimes a student will say to me, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, you know, I think I might get rid of this point of view. And every single time, about two months later, they get rid of that point of view. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just I did it. I just got rid of a point of view. It felt great. It feels so great because then you don't have to deal with it anymore. It just lightens the load so much. And you just you just don't – I mean, we only have so much writerly energy. Um, and the reader only has so much energy in um, understanding and picking up and paying attention to its attention deficit. Um, so are you really stealing more from the book than you're, than you're giving? Mm. Um, Mark, do you, have, do you have my thoughts about how she can approach – either paring down timelines or if she wants to keep them, how she can make them work better. hundred percent. So um, I would say um, the two things on this. Um, one is like, I have this, like, I love giving everybody an arc in my books. Like, I mean, even the little minor characters, like everybody gets an arc, everybody gets to change. I think a character changing is like sort of often what readers are tuned into most. So it's like when Oprah was out there and she was like, you get a car and you get a car. For me, it's like, you get an arc and you get an arc. Everybody gets an arc. I'm always thinking about everybody gets an arc. And I would just say, make sure each character in the book has a beginning, a middle and an end and make sure it is like hyper clear. Feel free to in draft stage, overwrite it. Like this is what the character wants. This is why they cannot get it. In the end, they will either get it or not get it. And here's what they learned. Just like put it in broad strokes because i just think it's 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 hard enough to hook a reader on one character's arc in a, a successful novel and when you have multiple arcs it's like you're doubling that you're not actually making it easier you're making it harder because now you got to have a second arc that the, the reader is invested in and they got to have a payoff and they got to have a climax and all that so just i would say if you're going to keep all the um stories then just make sure everybody gets an arc and be clear about what that arc is and then one other piece of advice that i once heard from somebody which is great about this topic is um if you want to know whose story this really is and and they kind of like look at the book through that lens and sort of like if you want to like winnow away other things because you're trying to figure out this is a story about here's my protagonist um think about what the climax of the book is and think about who has the greatest um at st the most at stake in that climax okay that's whose book this is right and so once you figure out that then you then it will immediately clarify like who is in a supporting role um and who can be kind of maybe shaved away a little bit absolutely great um and i also or who changes the most um yeah, at the exactly. book end. and they do 100%. and and you think, well, I have multiple points of view. Why do I have to choose whose story this is? Um, and overall, there is probably one of the points of views that's going to take over from the rest. Um, that's going to be the one that people kind of gravitate to and talk about when they talk about the book. Uh, but I have writers all the time thinking, well, do I have to do multiple storylines? Do I have to do this kind of arc in each? Yes, you do. <laughs> I'm sorry. And that's what makes it so hard. Um, that, I mean... One of my uh, past uh, novel incubator students, Julie Dalton, um, does this, and I've done a lot of grafting. It can be very helpful to then graft the arcs to just see, you know, your the the moments of climax for each arc aren't going to hit all at the same time necessarily. Um, some of them, this is going to sound very sexual, but some of them are going to climax early. 
<laughs> some of them are going to climax late. And so if they can, and that's an important thing to think about because with multiple points of view, there'll be certain points of view that are carrying the energy of the book at that at that particular moment. Um, and that's that's okay as long as you have the next point of view is not going to be anticlimactic or a letdown or that we're actually or going to get to that next point of view. Another way to also keep us interested in the points of view is making sure that those dramatic questions, not even just the singular dramatic question that we talk about, but the dramatic questions are or writing us through from point of view to point of view so that when you do make a timeline switch and when you do make a point of view switch, we're like, oh, goody, now I'm going to have this answer because I've been wondering about this the whole time. I've been wondering about his side of the story. I've been wondering what happened in 1908. Um, you know, I think about um, Cold Mountain. Uh, the main character has a very deep scar on his neck from the very opening of the book. And we instantly ask the question, where is the scar from? Mm -hmm. So that when we go back in time to get the battle scene where he got the scar, we feel satisfied. Instead of feeling like we're going backwards and we, readers don't want to go backwards in a novel. We always want to go forwards and we always want to stick with the same point of view. But if you've given us a question that allows us, that raises our interest and is going to get us to that next point of view, we'll, we'll be excited about it. Yeah. And, and I just want to say one last thing. There's like, the importance of like hook them on the way in and hook them on the way out um, with like cliffhangers and good like opening sentences. I mean, it's just like, think about it. Like if you have three points of view, like one person wants to get a glass of water, one person wants to put out a fire in their house and another person like needs to eat a sandwich, right? And so the first person starts heading towards the glass of water and then they're almost there. They're reaching out for the glass of water. Cut. Next person, yeah. their house is on fire. Hook them on the way in. He's getting the water to put out the fire. Then he almost put out the fire, cut. Next person, I'm so hungry, I need a sandwich. Goes to the sandwich shop, almost gets a sandwich, cut, back to the water. And it's like, just hook them in, hook them out. And there's just a kind of steady, super clear progression in each story. And you just like, you have this hunger to kind of go back and see, hey, what was, it's like you were saying, Michelle, like there's just a question that is brought up in each section and you just need that answer. And it's just a series of questions and then answers and then new questions and new answers all the time. And that's a great example of what we were saying before about like the handoff, right? That is mm -hmm. just critical. That's it's totally. Yep. Yeah. That's the handoff. And also making sure that each of the points of views have a very distinct and different role. Um, that they want something different, that they're actually offering actually a new point of view to the situation instead of blurring with someone else's. Um, and, uh, instead, if, if they don't have their own job in the book, then you're going to be in trouble. And that's and that's also just having what characters you have in the book as a whole. If two, if you have characters that have the same roles um, and that do the same job in the book, you're probably going to need to get rid of those characters and, and you really need to get rid of them if, if they have a point of view. Um, Jane, anything we haven't, I feel like we've jumped around a lot and talked about a lot. Anything you feel like we haven't covered? Well, one thing, I, I'm just looking at some of the questions in the chat and um, in response, you, you know, it, does the story really have to be one person's story? And can you make the character, a reader really feel invested in multiple points of view? And, um, you know, I, so I think I would push back a little bit about, you know, do we need to know whose story this is? Or or maybe, Mark, I'm misunderstanding a little bit what you're saying. I mean, maybe it, it's one, one person's story maybe is more dominant in terms of, 
carrying the greater share of the drama of the book or the weight of the book. Um, but I, I think, again, like if you are going to have multiple points of view, the reader does have to feel invested in all of those, right? So it's, and, and those, like you were saying also, some, they have to have that arc. But I guess the question is, can, can there be equal weight between each of the multiple points of view or do they necessarily serve one of the points of view more? Are they, are the other characters like, or points of view handmaidens to one of the main ones, or are they really equally? And I think, it, I think both can be true. I, I think you can do either. I really do believe you can do either. Yeah. That is a, that is a problem that I've seen is that the other points of views are just all looking at the main point of view. Yeah. And they don't have their own story. Yeah. So they're just, they're just mirrors um, and they, and they don't have their own arc or their own plot. And that, that is going to be a real problem. They have to have their own stories. Um, and also if you do just really love a point of view. So I did in my first novel, um, readers just loved one point of view over the other, um, and a Dean over Mary. And I tried and I said, okay, I'll try and just make it an Adina. And when I did that, the whole energy of the novel just completely vanished because Enadina tended to be a very unemotional kind of shut down reticent sort of person. I needed Mary there to balance her out. So also just see about like tonally or the feeling of the novel when you take out a point of view, what happens? Um, and so then I also knew that I just needed to work on Mary more. I believed in her. I wanted her in the novel and I just needed to work on her more. Mark, I, I know there's lots of things we haven't covered, but is there something significant that you think we need to get at with this question? He's like, yes, there's 5 million things. No, sorry. I like, so by just context here, I sent Michelle a list of things I wanted to talk about before and it was like enough to cover like four hours. So that's why she's always like, Mark, but can you just limit it to one thing? Yes. So I'm just going to say, one uh, last thing, which is that, so Jane, in response to what you were saying a minute ago about like, can't, is everybody handmade into like the main arc? Now, look, like I said, I'm like a single story reader. And so like, that's sort of how I process yeah. things anyway. Um, but I would say that, you know, to kind of throw away everything that I've just said about like, is there a main person? Is there a main arc? I would just say there is a certain kind of genre that I think really lends itself to this. And it's not even really a genre, but it's just kind of a, a, an approach, which is that I would call it like there's a situation. There's a situation that needs solving, right? So like the, the classic genre of this would be like a the extreme genre it would be like a disaster film, right? Um, or like um, a serial killer, right? So if there's a disaster film, like say the movie Contagion, which is like one of my favorite movies, but there's tons of disaster movies that have like um, kind of ensemble casts. And it's like everybody's dealing with like the same issue and you want to see how different kinds of people and different kinds of characters are like trying to figure out this thing. Now, you could be very liberal with that and just say like um, you've got four, say, female characters who are all dealing with marital infidelity in one way or another. And like that is like the grouping. And so mm -hmm. how do these different people come at the same situation, the same problem? Um, and if there's a serial killer, obviously that gets into procedural and that really lends itself to that, which is like. Is the detective going to solve it? Is the next victim going to get killed? What what does the antagonist think? And there's a real reason to see all these people in this situation. Yeah. Um, so that's another way to think about justifying it. Right. The main story is the situation. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. They're right. there is a great example of that. They're all converging toward one point and they're all coming at it from different angles and experiences. 
Yeah. In Aristotle, if you go back to Aristotle, which I tend to do, I mean, he will say all sorts of things don't add cohesion or don't make up for a book. And he will actually say, I think you even say situation or, or even location. So sorry, our town. Um, he believes that each point of view needs to have one action, which is that arc. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but that, that one action needs to be metaphorically linked with the other. So if you have Odysseus who wants to go home and you have Penelope at home, who's trying to save her home so that you have those sort of thematic links. Well, as well as they each have to have their own work. Okay. Again, we could talk, this is why we just did one question today because we're already running late and we're just, we could keep talking about this. Everyone, um, we've got to finish up though. So you can find everything we're up to on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page, including episodes from our past two writing challenges and on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review the podcast so we can find other listeners. So, Jane, any final words about this particular topic or about our month-long topic in terms of breaking through your writing obstacles? Um take a walk <laughs> I find one of the best things is to get if I have a problem I just go walk or hike I get away from my computer away from the page and that tends to work wonders so that's my number one piece of advice when you're stuck I love that yes Mark my Mark's okay. like don't take a that walk was, you should have ended on Jane because my thing is like a little bit that was just a great end note to end on but I would just say like this is something I've been thinking about a lot it's just sort of like um just protecting the dream of your writing, right? And it's like, when you go into write, you need to have the dream that you could be the greatest writer, this could be the greatest book, all these things. Like, it's just, if you're writing and kind of like worried and thinking, oh, I don't know if this will get published or what will my friends think or whatever, like, I just, as much as you can, just be completely isolated and let your dream just blossom when you're writing. When you head back out of the office into the world, then you can be full of anxiety and wondering, what am I doing? Writing is crazy, um, all of this stuff, right? But when you're there, just let that beautiful dream flourish that, you know, this is going to be somebody's favorite book one day. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Isolate yourself. So basically we're saying, take a walk, but take a walk alone. <laughs> Because that's with, delusions of, with feelings of grandeur <laughs> with feelings of grandeur about yourself excellent okay thank you both so much so wonderful so helpful i mean these two are two great teachers and writers there's a lot to learn from and i'd absolutely pick up their books as well thank you everyone else for joining us i hope you're able to get back to your writing desk or take a walk i hope you're able to enjoy yourself in some way good luck and good writing